Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. I think that lifting the FDIC insurance cap is a good move. Now the question is, where's the right number on lifting yeah. it? But recognize that we have to do this because these banks are under-regulated. And if we lift the cap, we are requiring or relying even more heavily on the regulators to do their job. I try not to listen to Senator Elizabeth Warren, but... Are we now going to see an increase happening in the FDIC? Why would it even matter if we've already stated that we're going to privatize gains and socialize the losses? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Let me bring in Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, who we've been talking to about these issues. We've been engaged in these conversations. And the last we spoke, you were breaking down, sir, the insanity of what we were seeing from Silicon Valley Bank, uh, from Signature Bank in New York, which is a story that doesn't get enough play at all, sir. Then, of course, the conversation regarding, regarding Silvergate and how they were involved in the crypto world, but let's take the step back. If you were explaining this to somebody from another planet, trying to explain to them what happened here and what took place here, how do you explain what has happened with Silicon Valley Bank and with the banking sector as a whole? You know, Tony, I think that's where we have to start because it's important that people understand the problem before we get into the nuts and bolts of what's happening. The problem started with banks who have too much interest rate risk and too much credit risk. Tony, those are the two kinds of risk that banks have, interest rate risk and credit risks. And they weren't hedging their risk and they were making bad loans, bad investments. That's where it all started. Elizabeth Warren is wrong. They weren't under-regulated, they were misregulated. The current regulators missed the ball, they dropped the ball, they totally didn't understand what was going on. That's where the problem starts and we have to remember interest rate risk and credit risk. But in this case, Tony, we also have to remember that President Biden, who created inflation along with the Fed, lit the fire. They lit the match that started the big fire. And this is what we can't forget about, Tony, is that's where it all began and that the Fed has to raise interest rates to fight inflation. They have no choice at this point, And that is going to harm banks who are taking too much interest rate risk, Tony. Now, that's where I want to push back. I want to push back on this idea that somehow the raising of interest rates is going to harm banks because the raising of interest rates comes as the way to be the hedge against inflation. You described it here. We've discussed it many times. Inflation is too much cash and not enough stuff. And you raise interest rates to therefore reduce the amount of cash supply in the system to bring that down and to bring things into balance. Now, it's kind of hard to do when you don't when you have this supply chain issues and you don't have enough stuff uh, coming in, but you're now making an argument or, or maybe you're engaged in the argument they're making. Maybe it's not your specific argument that you can't raise interest rates because the banks are in a too much of a precarious position 
Is that the case? The banks are in too precarious of a position and you can't raise rates anymore. So we all deal with inflation because some bank doesn't know how to regulate itself. So, Tony, maybe I didn't explain myself well. I think the Fed has to raise interest rates to fight inflation. But what I said is it's going to harm the banks that are mismanaged. It's not going to harm the good banks. It's not going to harm the, the banks that have managed their risk properly, that have good credit risk. Those banks won't be harmed. And that's perfectly fine, Tony. In fact, they'll benefit from higher interest rates because they'll be able to charge a higher rate on the loans they make. What I meant to say, and again, I apologize if I wasn't clear, is it's going to hurt the banks that have been mismanaged. And that's perfectly fine. If you're a mismanaged bank, if you've been rolling the dice and gambling, you should be gone. You shouldn't be around. Someone should gobble you up and we should only have good, solid banks remaining. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Okay, we're talking about well-managed and mismanaged banks here. That's what we're referring to. Talk to me about this mismanagement. As we know the story from Silicon Valley Bank, they were doing what could be seen as the proper thing. They were buying what is the safest buy in America, which is a, a bond, because they wanted to make sure they had the money if their depositors come calling. But there was also a conversation that they were putting out crazy dollars as opposed to what they were taking in. And isn't that something that the regulators at Silicon Valley Bank, the people at Silicon Valley Bank, the CFO at Silicon Valley Bank, the head of risk management at Silicon Valley Bank should have noticed before the state of California and the federal regulators did. And did they notice it too late? Well, well Tony, let me correct one thing that, that you just said. They were making loans and investing depositor dollars and investor dollars in high-risk things, not safe bonds. They had a portion in that. There, It is true. Every bank has a portion of their investments in safe securities. But the problem they were having is they had a significant number of investments, go back to credit risk, in venture capital and crypto companies. That's where they went awry, along with not managing their interest rate risk. Now, Tony, there's a history behind this. So if I could spend a moment and explain to people that what happened at Silicon Valley Bank and Silvergate and what's happening at other banks is that they are traditionally investment banks. There's investment banks, Tony, and there's traditional banks. They are different. And President Clinton in 1999 signed a law that repealed Glass-Steagall. This was the act that said we will not combine the two. Traditional safe banks can't be doing investment banking because investment banking is risky. He signed a law that prevented that. And, and Tony, that's where all this problem started. It started then, and then the, this gray area started mingling. And so what you have with Silicon Valley Bank is a tr investment bank mentality. In fact, Tony, one of their top executives was a former CFO at Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers, the biggest bank yeah. failure that we had at that time in history, went out of business because they were gambling on the kind of loans and investments they made. And he was the guy in charge at Silicon Valley Bank. It's go back, go back, if you would, to this Glass-Steagall conversation, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, -L, Dr. Matt Will, on, on, on Twitter, because we hear about Glass-Steagall and then we hear about Dodd-Frank. And these are the things that led us down this road. Break down Glass-Steagall for us and exactly the issue that that created in the Silicon Valley Bank story. Tony, there, there used to be a law in this country that said, if you're an investment bank, you're higher risk, you don't get FDI insurance, but you can do things that are riskier. If you're a traditional bank, 
you can get FDIC insurance. You can't do certain things that are investment-oriented derivatives, venture capital lending, leveraged buyouts. You have to be a very safe because you're holding the people's money. The people on Main Street are trusting you. In 1999, President Clinton signed a law to repeal Glass-Steagall that allowed these two banks to come together. So now traditional banks could start being risky and risky banks could start being more traditional and they got insurance. And that's what we're seeing here. The traditional bank model has been corrupted by this investment bank mentality. And if we, I'm assuming we're going to talk about what's happened in Switzerland and we see it happening there exactly the same way that it happened here. Now, when we talk about what happened in Switzerland, I think I've got this right. This is nuts. Credit Suisse, which is more on the institutional side of, of lending, started to have the same problems, the same capital problems that you saw from Silicon Valley Bank. The, Na the Saudi Arabian Bank, the National Bank of Saudi Arabia, which is the Saudi royal family, they have 9.9% of the bank. And they said, sorry, we can't help you. We can't have more than 10% as per the regulators. So we, you're, you're, you know what, out of luck with us, we can't give you any cash. Enter the Swiss National Bank, which pours, I believe it was 54 billion US dollars into the bank. And then a week later, UBS, a competitor to Credit Suisse, is allowed to buy the entire company. UBS is allowed to buy Credit Suisse for $3.4 billion. If I thought Credit Suisse was available for $3.4 billion, Dr. Will, you and I could have put together a team and, and, and bought this thing. That is That seems to be like no money at all. So people are very upset about this, saying, wait a second, what kind of boondoggle is going on here? What kind of boondoggle is going on here and how does it relate to the other things? Well, it's, it's, it's almost exactly like the Silicon Valley Bank situation because UBS, let's go back to the analogy I just gave you. UBS is a traditional bank. They are very solid. They have no interest rate risk. They have almost no credit risk. They're a very boring bank, Tony. And if you put your money in UBS, it's safe. Credit Suisse, on the other hand, was more of an investment bank. They were rolling the dice. They were competing directly with Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and Chase for investment banking deals. These are high-risk deals, Tony, venture capital type stuff, just like SVB was doing. They were competing with those companies, and they were losing. Credit Suisse didn't have a natural depositor base like you and I. They didn't have the average person putting money in their bank. Their depositors were the Saudi Arabian government, the Kuwaiti government these sovereign wealth funds that had billions of dollars in there. And Tony, when they pulled their money out, there was no money left to replace what they had removed. And that's where the problem was. Now, Tony, I don't know that you and I could have bought the bank because the Swiss government broke every Swiss law when they handed it over to UBS. And we can get into this uh, addition, what's called AT1 tier capital and subordinate loans, but they totally violated the rules. And all the other people in Europe are very upset about it. And they've been saying, we will not let that happen in our countries. We will have to get to that uh, another day. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Let's bring it back here. and Let's go back to that commentary from Senator Elizabeth Warren and the idea of increasing the caps on FDIC. Um, 
it seems that if Joe Biden, the president, already says that we'll do more uh, to ensure that depositors have their money safe, if Janet Yellen, the uh, Treasury Secretary, is saying we will do more to ensure the banking system is safe, what does it matter what FDIC does, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation? It seems to me that our leadership has stated we're going to privatize gains and we are going to socialize losses is that or is that not what they have said with this silicon valley bank what i'll refer to as bailout tony it is factually correct what you just said but it's even worse because think of the student loan situation let me use that as analogy in that situation it's the the person who didn't go to college who's working a nine-to-five job a, a you know electrician who's bailing out you know the the doctor who has all these loans piled up from medical school that's what's going to happen here the person has under $250,000 is going to pay increased insurance penalties. Tony, that's a tax. I don't care what the president says. It's a tax. So you and I, those people that have under $250,000 in the bank, they're going to pay an extra fee to bail out the Mark Cubans of the world, the high rolling tech investors in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, in Boston. These people that are, the Bill Ackman, one of the biggest hedge fund, richest guys in the country says, hey, increase the limit. Why, Tony? Because he's got money in these banks. Mark Cuban has money in these banks. These very rich people want to get bailed out. And that's what she's talking about. You and I, the average person will be paying to bail out the billionaires, Tony. That is wrong. And I can't believe she's saying it. And they're trying to hide it under the guise of populism. Dr. Matt Will has much more to say on this issue. And we got into a conversation uh, about really, are we okay with the banking system? Do we think that everything is fine and good? Should Americans feel okay with everything that, that's going on? Because I felt one way a week ago, and I'm not so sure how I feel right now. I have not run to the bank, guys. I, I haven't gotten my money out of the bank. I haven't done that. I feel confident in the bank that I am in, uh, I should say, uh, plural on that one. Uh, but uh, what we're seeing, what we're seeing seems odd and peculiar, different than last week. And so we got into this. Should you feel safe about where your money is? I will share part two of this conversation with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, in a little bit. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today.